I want to share this morning uh, from Psalm number three, and I know some of you will say that we've been there two times this year. <laughs> well, get ready for the third. Um, the The fact is, as you come to these psalms, um, you you can't just read them and say, "Wasn't that nice." Um, You've got to really get inside the head and the heart of where David was. It changes everything to know what was happening and why he said what he said. And as I said yeah, earlier, <clears throat> we have talked about the whole psalm. We've talked about the shield. and But just let me read those first verses again and go somewhere with it that we haven't gone before. O Lord, how my adversaries have increased. Many are rising up against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no deliverance for him in God. But you, O Lord, and you notice that's in caps, and so it should be, I am, it's the name God gave to Moses. But you, O I am, are a shield about me, my glory and the one who lifts my head. And it's specifically there, but you, O I am, are my glory. Leave the rest out for this morning. You are my glory. And that arrested me um, last week, uh, and I couldn't get away from it because of the, the, what can I say, it's almost nonsense to the logical mind because here is David. Okay, get the picture. He's in what in the way they lived in those days. He was in his very late middle age. He would be a lot younger than me. He would be more like in his 50s, coming into his 60s maybe. And David, at that time, that's the whole point, that's when he wrote this. And you have to bring that into the equation. He wrote this in his old age. For being a Hebrew, he was in his old age. And he's in extreme pain, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. He's gone into a mental fog, and everything he had gained over a lifetime, he has lost it. In a minute, it's gone. And here is this man who wrote this as he went out of Jerusalem, fleeing from his own people, He's dressed in sackcloth and ashes, which is a statement that I'm a man going to my own funeral. And he goes to the top of the Mount of Olives. As, as I have pointed out, he actually went through what a thousand years later would be called the Garden of Gethsemane. He, he went where Jesus would pray a thousand years from there. And he was in a state of being crushed and feeling helpless and he goes to the top of the mount, he sits down, he writes this psalm. At the end of his life, when he has, it's surely it's time for retirement and live off all the benefits of a life well lived. And yet it's a time of loss, pain, mental anguish. 
let, let me emphasize David in terms of his people. I mean, it really began back there with, with Goliath. That's when the people began to sing songs about him. He became the, you'd have to say, the idol of the people. They'd never seen anybody quite like this. And they began to sing. That's why Saul, the king, became so jealous. They're not singing about me. They're singing pop songs about this kid from the hills. And, and the, the, but he was, he was beloved. In fact, the word David, some people think I'm inclined to, was really his nickname. Because there's another name used for him elsewhere. But the nickname David means my beloved. And, and so it is it, I don't know, but it could well be that the people called him David, which is a Hebrew word, meaning beloved. Uh, he was the beloved, he was the hero of the people. He towered above all others when he was in his late teens. And then as time went on and his life unfolded, he acquired wealth. By the end of his life, uh, what he said of his, what he earned, he, he was a billionaire. He built the temple, essentially, that uh, Solomon built. He's, he's acquired wealth. He holds position of power um, in the eyes of all the surrounding nations. They cowered before him in, in somewhat good sense. He wasn't a cruel man. They, they cowered, but they said, he's great. There's no one like David. He, he towers above all. And then just a few years, months before this, he had the greatest mistake of his life when he went with Bathsheba. And then the sordid, ghastly story that unfolded. But still, he continued on as king, and the blessing of God continued with him. Um, but the people, well, you know, suddenly their hero has fallen. And, and there's that feeling that, is he everything he's cracked up to be? Maybe it's time for a change. And then comes in Absalom. Absalom, his son. His son. And a son that he greatly loved, but again, he'd messed up. If ever you want to see a dysfunctional father, study David. And, and there was they weren't talking anymore. And Absalom is doing his thing, and David his, and they sort of halfway come together. But Absalom is continually feeding the fuel on the fire of the people. He's getting old. It's time for a change. Look at me. I'm Prince Absalom. I make a great king. And it's there. It's in the mix. Nothing's happening, but it's in the mix. And then it comes that overnight David hears that Absalom has crowned himself king and is now marching on Jerusalem to kill his father and take his place. Remember how old he is. Remember what he's done and what he's got. And this is the end of it. He's reduced to a man, I say again, fleeing from his own people. In sackcloth and ashes, the Hebrew symbol of going to a funeral. And on top of the Mount of Olives, he sat down and he took, what? Inventory. He, he first of all, he begins by saying, there's so many who have risen against me. So many are saying of me, there's no hope for me in God. And he includes it into his psalm. He's feeling this very deeply. 
He wouldn't be dressed in sackcloth and ashes unless he was feeling it. It, it, it expresses how he feels. But he sits down and he realizes he's lost all his glory. That's a fact. If, if you, I mean, he's lost all his money. He left that behind. He's lost his possession. Absalom's going to take that. Lost his palace. He's, go down the list. Everything that would be counted as glory to a human being, he's lost it an hour ago. And he stands there on the edge of a nervous breakdown because where do you turn, where do you look at a time like this? When loss is not only counted in money, but it's counted in your own family, your favorite son. You've lost your son in the most terrible way that the son is becoming your worst enemy. And he weighs it all. And he comes up with this amazing statement. And you've got to feel what I've just said to get the statement that looking at himself at that moment in time when all he owned was the rock he was sitting on and he says, you are my glory. Do, do you feel the punch of that? You are my glory. That What is he saying when I consider everything? The honor that I have taken a lifetime to gain the wealth that I've taken a lifetime to accrue, the greatness that has taken a lifetime to become in the eyes of the other nations, it's all gone. But when it's all gone, I come down to one fact. There really was and is only one glory. You are my glory. And what has been taken from me, well, let them take it because I still have the one glory that is the only glory. You are my glory. And now, I don't know if that hits you like it hit me, but that's an amazing statement. If I just stopped right there and we said it over and over again for the next hour, I, I think, you know, it would... There's only one glory. And, and all the losses of my life, all the pain, all the mental anguish of what I now don't have, that's the whole... It's taken from me. Well, I'm not going to be trite about it. I'm not going to say let them take it. But on the other hand, if they do take it, if circumstances strip me, if I am left owning the rock I sit on, I still have the glory. You are my glory. That's what he's saying. And it's fascinating to me. You know, do you ever read the Bible looking at what they don't say. Sometimes what they don't say is more shocking than what they say. I mean, really, come on, be a nice, charismatic individual and sit with David on that stone at the top of the mountain. What would you praying? You were praying, oh, God, help me. <laughs> or, please, be my strength. Oh, God, be my strength. Find a prophet to lay hands on me so I'll be zapped and receive the strength. You know, I need the strength. Um, or another one would be, make the people change their mind. Do, do a national repentance. Let them change their mind instantly. And as for Absalom, I've heard this, I'm quoting prayer meetings here, you know, let, let Absalom stop hating me. No, just do it, God, do it. Get me out of here. 
Or what have I got to do right now to please you, God? What have I got to? What dedication do I have to make in order for something to happen? But none of that, not even the smell of it. In fact, you won't find that really very much in the Bible. But instead, he makes a declaration. Do, do you get me? He does not pray. He does not beg or plead. Instead, he says, you are my glory. Period. That's it. You are. As if that that's a done deal. We don't have to discuss that. That isn't something I have to investigate. Right now, in the middle of where I sit, and I've made a mess of my life to boot, but it doesn't make any difference. I can say to you, you are my glory, which outshines every other thing I've lost. You are my glory. And of course, if you put that together, you are, well, that's the verb to be, and, and so that's the verb I am. And so as I said, it's the name of God, I am. You are, and, and so I am is, it is. We're back there where we've been in other weeks. You are is my you are is my glory. You are my glory. That is, I'm not saying you are glorious, though he is, and David said that plenty of times, but he is saying you are is in this present moment, just where I'm sitting, where my toes are making dents in the dust. You is, you are now my, my possession, my glory it's an amazing statement and, and if ever there was a time in in our history when people have lost where there's been pain and suffering and mental anguish where where fear reigns across the nation as i go into stores even now i haven't gotten used to it everybody look as if they're going to rob the store and um you, you you see you see their eyes you know see their eyes and they are eyes full of terror. Really, you you look at people, and you see, I, I I went went to the dentist the other day, and and the jolly nurse came, wouldn't let me inside. She came out with a mask and goggles, and, and you know, so who are you? <laughs> fear, it's fear. Um, and I come back to this, and of course, it, it's it's true. I don't have to be a non-christian for that i it's it's rampant among christians a terror a fear as if monsters have invaded the land and then i come back to this uh, you know when, when i feel i've lost when I, i'm afraid of what is going to happen and and when there's a mental anguish here no one was beating him up physically, but he was. there's a mental anguish of what others are saying. The opinion of the people that once nearly worshipped him. Now they're saying, kill him. And I think it's time we looked at this, you know, seriously. I, I feel like saying sometimes when I preach to people, you know, I, I've got good news for you. Everything you believe is wrong. <laughs> and Because uh, it's not working. When, when is somebody going to say the emperor has no clothes? When are we going to say it's not? When I look at a congregation of people 
in fear when we live in the kingdom of God that is righteous is peace peace that passes human comprehension and joy that is unspeakable and full of glory somebody time out something's wrong David had something he's under the old covenant we're under the better covenant of the new so whatever he had here we have it on steroids because it took the incarnation to make this really happen David was prophetic he was seeing actually beyond himself he says that the glory of God has actually become his glory not in a zapping moment no he says you are as if we've discussed that already that that's a fact and I just overlooked it but he said I've woken up to it you are you always have been my glory and so the think of it think of thing you are the I am himself is my and that is possession this is my Bible this is my coat he is now saying the glory of God is my glory incredible incredible He's experiencing in the middle of darkness and pain, he's actually experiencing the reality that the glory of God is his. And yet, of course, God never gave it away. And so it's his, yet it's forever the glory of God. Do you you see there the union that Paul would say it, I live, yet not I, it's Christ. Christ didn't give himself away. Paul was brought into union. That's where David, I say prophetically, he was saying it because it took the New Testament to really say it. But what what is the glory of God? And of course, there again, we've spent weeks on that. But I'm not ashamed of saying you need to be reminded um, (laughs) for sure. What is the glory of God? Because it's a very nebulous word. And it's a difficult word to really say in English what it means. But you've got to know what the glory of God is to realize what David meant when he says, your glory is my glory. The, the word glory, um, it's got many levels of meaning. And one that sort of is the background to the word is weight, heaviness. Not heavy in the sense of depression, but heaviness in the sense of a weight. You might speak of someone who's got a big position in society and say he he carries a lot of weight. He he carries authority. There's a lot of stuff on his shoulder. Um, That's the meaning of the word. It means to press down. Uh, What's that saying? It's saying that the glory of God is not a footnote. It's not a P.S., God is glory. The glory of God is not a flimsy, fragile featherweight. The glory of God is the very heart, the very beating heart of the Holy Trinity. When I say God, I say glory. That's the being, the essence of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And... Therefore, God does not have any glory. He is what I'm talking about. He's the, he is the definition. He is. 
and and also the weight of it would in the fact of what i just said it, it means that th- this is not a passing experience it's not something you get on a sunday night revival meeting it, it's this has weight this is going to press your life and your life will never be the same to see and know the glory of god um it, it's what can I say? It's the energy of God, the personal. Energy is not impersonal there. The energy, the personal energy presence of love himself. It's the energy presence by which I mean ever coming out from him, diffused from him. God is love. When Moses said, show me your glory, God says, I cause my goodness to pass before you. The goodness of God is the glory of God. And the faithfulness of God to his own person. Glory. And so, when you get to a high level of some of these, what I would say, abstract things, are we talk about love and truth and faithfulness, it's hard to pin those down. And in the scripture, it makes it plain that there is more to the spectrum of light than we realize so that when you see the glory of God in Scripture, it's a radiance, it's a light. And from reading it, they're not just using poetry language. They, they say, and they confronted light, and a light that they could never describe, a light beyond all lights in, in this world. And so the word glory means the radiance of the very being and presence of God. But, Having said that, that's the sort of background to the word. In in terms of using the first definition, and if you go to the Hebrew lexicons, uh, they will say this, that the very first meaning of this word is opinion. And we, I know we've been there before, but many on Zoom have not been there before, so I'm doing this for you. Um that the opinion, uh, uh, opinion, and when you think, sort of, sort of I, I said David had the glory of everyone calling him a hero. Well, you could say his glory was the opinion of all the people put together. Uh, what people think about you, the put them all together and, and that's your glory, what people think about you, their opinion of you. That That would give an idea of what we're getting at here, that um, the first definition of glory is opinion. Well, think of a person with an opinion. An opinion arises from me. Um, It's it's who I am. Uh, I don't borrow opinions, at least if I'm anything of a human being. I I have my own opinion. It's it's myself. And I I hold that opinion in my thoughts. That's how I think about certain things. And that's the boundaries. My opinion is the boundary of how I think. When I think of certain things, like what happened here yesterday in Mardi Gras, I've got an opinion about Mardi Gras. And it means every time I think about it, there's certain boundaries that come down that I just don't even bother to go beyond there because I have an opinion. You follow what I mean? 
It's and in my imagination, my opinions govern my imagination. When I imagine certain persons, they fall into certain categories because it's my opinion. That's that's what we mean by opinion, and it comes out because of my opinion. I have certain intentions, um, certain things I, I plan for the persons that I have an opinion about. When I ask Andrew to join me. Here on the staff, I had a long set opinion about Andrew, and therefore that made me make certain decisions. Get it? That's now the opinion of God, the glory of God, the opinion. This, and I hope you get this. See, religion turns this on its head because it it believes in a, a very remote. Well, they believe in a monad, a single God. And um, that God is obsessed with itself. I I was pretty much raised around this, as many in in the religious world today are yet today. A a God who holds an opinion about himself and beholds himself and is really taken with himself. And therefore, you poor created suckers, you get down and tell me how great I am. And therefore, the opinion of God is his opinion. Of course, they leave a lot out. They never talk about his love and his kindness and his gentleness. But he's, God's got an opinion about his sovereignty, that he's the governor of the cosmos. And he's got an opinion about his omnipotence and his omniscience. And we can keep going. Um, well, that's not, see, that, that's where God, our God, who has revealed himself in three persons and is therefore no lonely monad who created us because he was lonely. No, that's, it's pagan actually. No, what, our God had unbegun fellowship within himself, the Father loving the Son, the Son, the Father in the Holy Spirit. And he didn't have to make us. There is absolutely no reason that logic can ever find why would God ever create us. And again, religion says, well, he wants to rule over us and give us rules and laws and punishments. And Sounds daft to me. Um, Why would God create us? Us just to irritate him for eternity. Uh, really, that doesn't make sense. Doesn't make sense. No. No, the glory of God, which is unknown to any religion on the face of the earth, the glory of God is he created us because before we were created, he had an opinion about us. About us? Not about himself. He had an opinion about us. And he loved us with a love beyond any human definition of love. So that he chose us to be the very bride of the Son. He chose us in order to love us. We were created out of his opinion of unbegun, unending, unbounded love. And when we were created, he created us to love us. 
And he created us in loving us to become centers of love. You'll never find that anywhere else. You see, everything we know, think about this. Everything we know about God, everything he's revealed about himself in the scripture is about us. See, it's not God saying, look at me, how how wonderful my sovereignty is and so on. It's God saying, I love you. Even when he was kind of miffed at us and in the Old Testament and he's kind of angry with the people, why is he angry? Because he loves them. They're worth being angry about. You know, the worst thing is not hating you, it's being indifferent to you. That's the worst thing. When you don't matter enough to even hate you. God is angry with the people because they've missed this this intention that he has. They missed it. And... So it's not the anger of rejection. It's the anger of I'm never going to let you go. It's it's you when you're angry with your child. It's not you hate them. It is you love them so much you don't want them to go that way. The heart, I say it again. Everything we look at in Scripture is about us. We know God is love. Well, yes. What's that about? How do you know God is love? That he loved you. God is kind, God is gentle. How do we know? Because that's what he did to us. The Bible isn't a textbook about a remote God who's preening his own feathers. This is a God who says, I'm not going to bother to tell you about me, I'm just loving you, and in my love you'll discover who I am. That's an amazing thing. Um, He's not self-absorbed. He's not caught up in himself. He is not angry in the sense that he despises us or disgusted with us or rejects us. It's it's another kind of anger. Um, He doesn't despise our human weakness. And if you question that, uh, remember what I just said. Just before this happened was the whole sordid affair with Bathsheba. And before this and right up to this, you've got a codependent, dysfunctional, screwed up family. Yes, you could learn a lot from his family. Negative learning. Um, Well, I I was raised to believe that God has to turn his face because he's like a Victorian lady. He needs smelling sauce if he looks at you. I mean, forget it, he's going to faint. Instead, what's it about? David is confident that though he's made such a mess of life, the glory of God, the opinion of God concerning David hasn't changed. And he can say right there, you are. That's amazing. And of course, the the only opinion that matters is, is his. I mean, think about that. The opinion of the nation had turned against David. And where everybody had had the opinion of him as a hero and as beloved, now they've seriously changed their mind. And he here is saying, that hurts, but you haven't changed your opinion. Your opinion of me didn't have a hiccup. You you love me, your opinion of me is exactly the same as it always has been. 
That's an amazing thing. And you don't have to think too long to say that's the only thing that matters. What's his opinion of me? Uh, and, you know, I, I it sounds kind of callous in a way to say I don't care what your opinion... I do care what your opinion is. But bottom line, I don't. Bottom line, if I have the knowledge of his opinion of me, then I've got glory. That's... I've got it. And so, glory... All this is background stuff, um, because you might then in, you can translate the word glory with, with reputation, and I think you see how that fits in. See, he has a reputation of never letting you down, and, and that's why it says so many times, in especially Old Testament. You know, he leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. That is, he's got a name, he's got a reputation, and he's got a reputation of always leading you in the paths of righteousness. He's not going to stop now, you know. Um, I I remember when I was very young and still wrestling with some of these things, and I spoke to a very old Scottish believer. I won't attempt his accent. It makes it better, actually, if I could, but... Um, and I was, I was saying, you know, could, could you lose your salvation? And he looked at me for the longest time as if I had just said a terrible word. And he said, son, if he lost you, he would lose his reputation. And he's got more to lose than you ever do. He said, his reputation is more than your salvation. And he's not going to lose his reputation over you. And he's got a reputation. He will never leave you nor forsake you. That's his reputation. That's his glory. Um, There it is. And, of course, praise. um, Because once once this, you you realize the opinion of God, that gives you an opinion of God. And so as his opinion of you settles into your spirit, out of you comes praise to God. Not because he says he's great, because he's bestowed himself upon you and you explode with thanks and praise. It's, that's the way it is. And honor and fame, recognition, dignity, worth, all those are translations of the word glory. But it all comes back to the opinion and how that opinion grabs hold of us. So our, I am, that's the... God we speak of, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, I am, is my glory. So the glory starts with him. I receive by gift. So we are, understand me if I say derived creatures. We, we, We don't start anything. We always receive. We're the receivers. He's the glory. But the glory of his glory is that he wills to give that glory to us. And so we receive, we participate. He's the source, the unbegun source of this glory. And we participate in that. We actually receive that and it becomes ours. But in becoming ours, he didn't give it away and walk away. 
He's part of what he gives. He is his own gift. And so for me to participate in his glory is I'm participating in God himself. I've been drawn into that relationship. So my value, which is what we're talking about, the value, it's a bestowed value, but it's real. That's the point. Sometimes when one says bestowed, it's as if, well, you know, you were the poor beggar and you got the dime, and I bestowed my charity on you. It's not this. He never does that kind of charity. Um, when when he bestows his love, he says, bring the best robe and put him on him, put shoes on his feet, let's take him to the party. And... and, <laughs> and now that's it's it's not you know you poor wretch that did I say it last week you know we defined grace by one song everybody becomes a theologian and we we know what grace is for, for a wretch like me no that's got nothing to do with grace except way down the line grace began when he thought of creating you that's <laughs> he gave himself away to you in his imagination before you even then, then grace is when he created the whole universe. And then grace, when he put us there, we never asked it. We never gave him permission. He, he put us here in the middle of this wonder. So when sin came along, well, that, that's, then it says where sin about grace did much more abound. We've had nothing but grace, but now you're going to see grace as you never dreamt you'd see it. Um, and, and so our value, my worth, is bestowed upon me by God giving me his glory. And that, 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 that's a worth, that's a value that you cannot measure in dollars. That's cannot measure in possessions, cannot measure even in the opinion of others. God himself... The Father, who spoke to us through the Son, who comes to us in the embrace of the Spirit, has bestowed upon us the glory. Or as John says, behold, and that's a word we don't use anymore, isn't it? But behold is an old English word which means, wow, <laughs> have you seen this? Look. Behold. Um, Behold what manner, do you remember what manner there in the Greek language means what foreign kind? I don't know why they translated it manner. It, it means if you found an orchid growing in Alaska in the snow, that, that's the word that you, what, what's that orchid doing here? It belongs in the Amazon. Um, and so John says, wow, have you seen this? What manner, what foreign kind of love is this that you should be called the Son of God? Whoa. And um, that, that's the picture of it. That's our value. What kind of people are these who have awoken to realize they, uh, they had this as value? And of course, sin, you could twist the definition around. Uh, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Sin is tied into this, that, that mankind didn't, didn't want that opinion because that opinion carried with it, you're a receiver. 
of grace. That means you're a truster. Sin doesn't want that. It turns it on its head. And it says that man turned into himself and looked at himself to find glory. Well, of course, there was nothing there, and they plunged into intense darkness. Uh, so what does man do? Then he puts on masks. And, and because we're all in the same darkness together, we start admiring each other's masks. And um, that's why it says in Philippians, do you remember where it says, whose glory is their shame? The very things they should shrivel in shame before has made their glory. That I've now got a, such a good mask, you really think I'm something. Um, you know, yeah, I mean, I got this mask of dollar bills and you thought I was worth something. And um, you follow me, right? It's, no, the, the only glory, it comes from the outside and is come by grace and therefore by trust. And sin is the opposite of that. We, and then, of course, we're silly enough to think God is impressed with our masks. And so we all adjust them on Sunday morning and sit there like... Anyway, but God does his... This is, because it's in the story. God does not change his opinion according to our behavior. Now, I said that very quickly, but that's massive. God's opinion of us is not based on our behavior. God's opinion of us is not based on our behavior. Now, that's upset a whole segment of people. But he knows who we are. Not, he knows what we're doing, too. But beyond that, he knows what we are. And he knows the worth that he's bestowed upon us, and nothing can take away that worth. God's bestowal cannot be negated by a pipsqueak devil. You, you can't, I mean, this slithering snake comes into the garden. Do you, seriously, do you think the hiss of a snake can just cancel out the eternal purpose of God? It's ridiculous. No, it didn't. No, the, the whole issue of sin is man becomes blind to his own glory, and therefore, because he's become blind to the glory of God, but he's blind to what is. He hasn't. He's still the beloved of God. He, God, still so loved the world. It's not changed. And last week, of course, we expanded on it. But but sin then is to be likened to dementia, perfectly so. That mankind now, in the darkness of satanic blindness does not even recognize his own father. He doesn't recognize his genesis, where he comes from. He doesn't even know who he is. Thinks he's somebody else. We don't know who each other. We're, we're in a state of dementia. And um, not knowing, um, and, and part of that dementia is we think we've lost value. And we, we have a basic shame of being human. But, as I said last week, if I throw a $100 bill into the Guadalupe, it doesn't become a piece of white paper. It's still a $100 bill, and it's stuck in the weeds, and it's covered in mud, but it's still a $100 bill. It's out of circulation. It's out of my pocket. I don't know. I've lost it, but it's not changed. It is what it is. God doesn't change his opinion. <laughs> Fact is, when I understand his opinion of me, that changes my behavior, you see. You can't, 
And if a person doesn't know that they are one with the glory of God, you can never give them a list of rules and say you mustn't do this and you can't do that. They'll always want to go and do it. But let them see they are the beloved of God. It's amazing what will suddenly be of no more interest to them. It's the way it works. Um, of course, if you notice, the, when I understand the glory of God, it begins to sound like heresy. But that is the wonder of the gospel. That's why it is good news. How did he bring this about? As I said, it took the New Testament to let us know how that happened. How can I put this quickly? The Father, God the Father, has one son. And that, as I've said before, doesn't mean he had a baby. That, that means one son, there is God from God. Even as my child has all that I am as a human, um, so God the Son is unbeginningly God from God. And the Spirit is the same God from God. Um, but, and, and therefore called the Son. But his only begotten Son. Hear me very carefully. That means you cannot add to the Holy Trinity. There's never going to be more than Father and Son and Holy Spirit. There's only one Son. But just a minute, we are called the sons of God. What about that? How did God accomplish that? The one Son, the only Son, who is God from God, God out of God. All that God the Father is, the Son is. All that God the Spirit is, the Son is, and so on. He joined our family. That's the incarnation. That's for God so loved that what he gave. And into the womb of the Virgin Mary, God the Son, through the Holy Spirit, joined the human family. Joined it, joined it from the womb. In, in that he joined, he came into the family in, in the rush of water through a birth canal. He joined us. And he joined us in actually taking to himself our humanity, our humanness, and not some ethereal foo-foo humanity that just couldn't sin. What use would that be to me? You know, you know, you know what I'm talking about. That we we have to get Mary to be the immaculate conception because we can't have Jesus tainted with us and, and um, all that. No, that's no use to me. If if I'm in the dark and God is going to join my family, He's got to come into the dark with me. And that might take some thinking, but it's got to be true. A Jesus who stands outside my darkness and says, look at me, I can do this and I can do that. Now, come and join me, come and join me. That's no use to me. Because it's so dark, I don't even hear him properly. No, it, it, Jesus came and that's the story of the gospel, that God became us and faced the same slithering snake 
as Adam did and stood by the same tree of the knowledge of good and evil and heard the same invitation. He faced it from an age appropriate. So from when he began to think as a child, he faced every temptation. It says he was tempted in every way. And he faced it as us. And God, in our humanity, lived the human life that we were always intended to live. So, what, what am I saying? He, try and think this, God himself, the creator. It says that this Jesus, this son of God, created all things that are and holds everything together by the word of his power. That God became us. For real. For real. No lights around his head. No, just became one of us. He joined our family. You could almost say he adopted himself into our family. Are you hearing me? God, family, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, now joins our family. What does that do to our family? We are then adopted into his family. Do you get that? See, this isn't Jesus just walking 10 feet above the ground saying, now look at me and if you do this, you do that. It isn't me sitting here in 2021 saying, now what would Jesus do? I don't have a clue. I do know this, that I was adopted into his family when he adopted himself into our family. And if we were adopted in, we share the common life. So the question is, what is Jesus doing? I don't know what he would do, but I know what he's doing. He's being himself. He's being love. And it says the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And so the glory of God has come to live inside us humans. And not just as a general thing. It was generally took in the human race, but specifically he lives inside of us. We have been adopted into the family of God. And the Holy Spirit then comes to tell us that's the truth. And so the Holy Spirit witnesses, or I, I, I feel the echo of God's voice inside me saying, go on, say it. Go on, say it. Abba, Dad, yes, you can. You're in the family. You see, you've been adopted. You can say it. And it says he bears witness that we speak Abba, Father. And Abba was a word in those days that was strictly only used for family. You can never be a friend of the family and say Abba. That was only for family. And that's what that scripture means, that we've been adopted, we've been brought into the family because God joined our family, we joined his and of course, that joining was in the cross and the resurrection. But I'm focusing on this one thing here. And then in John 17, just in case you think I'm up a tree here, in John 17, Jesus is talking to his Father at the end of it all. And he said to the Father, The glory that you have given to me, I have given to them. And that glory is, he went on to say, is I in them 
and you in me. So they are one with us. And so there is only one Son of God, but we were brought into him. And now we are in the circle of the Holy Trinity. We look at the Father and say, Abba, Dad, the Holy Spirit delights to dance with us the dance of love. But we haven't become the fourth member of the Trinity. There's only one son, but we the sons because we've joined the family and we are participating, we're receiving, we're being given, it's being bestowed, all those words, but it's so real. We are brought into union with him. You talk about glory. Don't read the Bible so fast. That's why I come back to this over and over and over again and keep finding another word there and another word there. Have you ever read it? You were filled with all the fullness of God. Have you ever thought that might mean you? You know, And the fullness of God, what is the fullness of God? Even your Amplified Bible, the bastion of evangelical thought, um, but it says uh, that you have been filled with the Father and Son and Holy Spirit. All that God is came to me in Jesus and now actually resides in me through the Holy Spirit. And so it says that we are now the dwelling of God. We are the dwelling of God through the Holy Spirit. Or again, Jesus says, you are the light, radiance, the glory. You are the light of the world. Well, do you realize it right now, just as we're sitting here, if we had eyes to see, we are robed in robes of light. We are radiant with the light of the glory of God. It's an amazing thing if you ever confronted by witchcraft or demonic powers. They know that. They see it. That's the amazing thing. And here we go around half blind. But maybe that's for the best. <laughs> no, if we saw ourselves as we really are, I don't know if we could handle it sometimes. It's so magnificent. And of course, way back with David, he spoke of this. Do you remember when he woke up in the morning? What is it? You can check it yourself. It's Psalm 108, verse 1. But again, it was a regular thing. It comes up again in Psalm 57, verse 8. And he says, he says, Awake my glory. And then he goes, And I will awaken the dawn. And that actually um, is, I say, a massive statement. That without any, like in Psalm 3, when he's really up against the wall, he makes it plain, you are my glory. But prior to that, actually Psalm, yeah, Psalm 57 for sure, was, was written when Saul was trying to kill him, when he was much younger. And, and there he doesn't even bother to say, the Lord, you are my glory. It was so, it was a natural, it was, it was just, it was so natural, he didn't have to say so. Um, and he just says, awake my glory, awake. You know, awake means you're, you're in the process. If you're waking up, you're coming into a process of entering into reality. 
because where you've been has been your dream world. So you're leaving your dream world, you're waking, you're coming into reality. Um, so David said, awake, my glory. Said, wake up, wake up, you know. Don't forget it. It's a new day. Don't wait until noon to remember that you are one with the glory. You've got to wake up, my glory, um, to to wake up from sleep. There's that other Hebrew word we've talked about, remember, which means um, not to leave a thing in the past as irrelevant for today but rather bring it from the past into the present to relive it in this moment. Um, remember, that is, put it this way, on Tuesday morning at 10 o'clock, remember what I said today. What, what I'm saying today is not something people say on Sundays. This is something that is the heartbeat of your life. Wake up, as it. Now don't don't let this slip back into something irrelevant to work on Tuesday. This is not irrelevant to your relationships on Thursday. This remember it. You wake it. Wake up. Wake up. Don't live in the dream world where there's no reality. Um, wake up. Let your opening thoughts, as I'm coming to consciousness, let those thoughts define my day. Wake up, my glory. Let's let's wake up the dawn. Let's begin this day where we plan to finish it. Because that's going to define all our behaviors. It's going to define all my conversations. Because remember that his glory is not defined by your behavior. Your behaviors will be defined in accord with who you see yourself. If you know that you are the glory of God, your behaviors are going to change. That's the way it is. And you have been taught by religion that if you stop doing this and you mustn't do that and you can't go there and you've noticed that you're held in a vice grip, you can't stop it because religion will never tell you that you are the glory of God. They never tell you that. It's just a list of morals that you can't do these things. You won't find that in the Bible. The Bible begins by saying, you are, you are, you are, you are. And all those are's end up with the glory of God. That's who you are. Well, then just let me stay there. That's who I am. That's my name. That's my identity. That's how, that's God's opinion of me. And he knows everything. So it's not the opinion I hold of myself because that's part of my dream world. Uh, and it's not the opinion you may hold of me that I think you hold of me. I don't, I don't care about that. God's opinion of me, his statement of my identity is that I am the glory of God. That is my name. That's my identity. Not, that's my waking thought. That's how I turn the key of the day. Open the door. And from inside that glory of God, we see reality. Now I see the same thing. I was there yesterday, same thing. But I see it through the glory of God. And it all changes. So we, we awaken to our identity 
in the face of God's glory. Um, he, back to the, the prodigal, you know, again, you could sound, when, when you find it, look at that guy, smell him, see his sunken cheeks and bloodshot eyes and matted hair and stinks like a pig and the father says, you are my son. And of course he goes through that religious speech, great religious speech. Actually, he could have given his testimony for the next six months based on that speech, you know. He, he would have been accepted as the convert of converts. Here he goes, I'm not worthy to be called your son. Yeah, oh, that's it. You got it, man. Grovel, lick the dust, tell God you're no good. And God would be very pleased because he'll imprint his fingers and say, I'm so good. But um, instead, the father shut him up. God doesn't want to hear that rubbish. It's trash, take it out. God bless you, those of you who may go forward in your church every week to tell God what a worm you are. But I do want to, he keeps on loving you, but he, he's, if you hear carefully, he's really saying shut up because I, I, I love you. He's not a worm collector. <laughs> calls you his son. And the, and the father, you know, you've got you to go there, you know, feel it. The father says, you are my son. Why are you talking like that? My son, as if your behavior in the far country could ever change that. You're saying, what I've done in the far country, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Father said, of course you are. Of course you're still my son. But then he backs it up. Because sometimes that can sound impossible. So so he backs it up. And he said to the servants, go bring the best robe and put it on him. It means, kid, you know, you, you've got servants now. You're the son in the family and you have servants and you don't go to get the best robe. I'll send my servants and when they come, they will fit you with it. And you will sit down and let them put the shoes on your feet. And they'll probably have to give you a jolly good wash ahead of time. It's and then it says, and it's a, a best, it says, then the, the father and the son went to the party to rejoice which meant that finally the son is together with the father and agreeing with the father, and he's got it. He's a son, and he's acting like one. Is my, the glory of God is my. The realization that it is so. And for many people, everything to do with what we're talking about is always when. It never is. See, I could stop right now and is you. That is, we don't have to do anything. You see, have you noticed I never have you stand up, walk forward, say a prayer? Because, of course, you've been told it's when you do that that something happens. No, you is right now. Blink, you is. Wake up. You are. Do, do you follow me? The, is, is, is so. And, and it, this is not just a, a 
dead appendage that hangs on me as having no relationship to the rest of my life. I'm back to the very beginning. We face life right now full of fear, loss, deep emotional pain, sometimes agony, or even magnificent new adventures that call us on. But, okay, put it like this. The American Christian, and wherever America has sent its envoys, the American Christian is governed by the rapture. See, that doesn't work in China. In fact, many of the countries that I went to preach in doesn't work in Russia. That's another thing. Because the Christians there, and those two countries stand out, um, and the, they were taught, um, this happened in China, the American missionaries in China taught that when the tribulation came, the Christians would be raptured out. And that was their mentality. And then when communism took over, many of the Christians rose up in rage against the white missionary and said, you lied to us. You never prepared us for this. And I know that is true here in the States, that wherever you go, it's uh, when the beginning of COVID thing, you know, was it a year or so ago, year ago, I remember people said the rapture must be happening, meaning we're believers. We can't go through this. Get a life. Yeah. Yeah, get a life. What is the entire message of the Bible? That the glory of God dwells in you and he in you and you in him walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And in the middle of it, he prepares a table in the presence of my enemies. In the middle of it, he anoints you with the oil of healing and your cup overflows. While all the American Christians are saying, when is he coming? When is he coming? When is he coming? You missed the feast. It was right there in the middle of the valley of the shadow of death. Do you understand what this is? To, he was in the middle of the valley of the shadow of death. Actually, he wrote Psalm 23 a few days later after this. He was in the valley of the shadow of death. And inside the valley, he said, you are my glory. And there's not a word of get me out of here wasn't in the mentality it was we go through this and we go through it in the strength of God the glory of God and by the time we get out of here we'll know his glory like we've never known it before and when I was in Russia and talked with pastors that had been in solitary confinement for two decades one of them when he was arrested he grabbed for his bible but all he came away with was half a page he tore it and he said for 17 years this has been and he said, I've, I've met with Jesus. And he said, he sat in the cell with me. And you go away. I said, you know, I'm not worthy to be here. I'm, now I'm not talking like the prodigal son. I mean, it just, you feel. These people have been where I've never been. And I met the same thing when I was in China. Um, 
Well, that's much more up to date. Landed in Hong Kong and met, sort of met. It was more like a James Bond movie. He came up beside me and didn't look at me but was talking to me. He said, there'll be no meetings. You know, that I, I'd been scheduled to be with him. He said, there'll be no meetings. He said, our pastor was executed last night. And so we will lie low for three weeks and then find another pastor who will be executed soon. And that's the way they live. And I say to American Christians, and wherever, I know some of you are watching from Africa, um, just think of this. This rapture mentality is not in the scripture. It is in American-based books, but it's not in the scripture. In the scripture it says, my grace is sufficient for you. Paul says, get rid of this thought. Get rid of it. I said, no. We're going through this and my grace will be so sufficient you won't even notice it, which was true. He said, after that, he said, bring it on, bring it on, that I might discover the grace of God the more. I didn't intend to get onto that, but um, it's what this is about. Because, and that's where we started, where he's into, where he's sitting, the pain, the suffering. But he's going to go through that and he's going to come out the glorious David that dominates really the whole of Scripture. As God said, the man after my own heart. But, well, there it is. Go do it. Awake, my glory. Open the dawn. Amen. Now your blessing be upon every one of us, opening the eyes of our understanding that we may not only see you in your glory, but realize with wonder that your glory in the face of Jesus Christ dwells within us. And let us find there the source of our behavior. Find there the source of our life and joy. And that's the way it is. Amen.